Conflict is so unpleasant and even painful that it's easy to assume that everybody wants the same thing when a conflict occurs. Resolve and repair. <laughs> the problem with this assumption is it's not accurate. And when we don't understand that some people don't actually want repair and don't actually want resolve, it can get really super confusing why we put all this energy towards trying to create those two things, and yet we can never actually create them. That is the subject of today's episode. Whenever a person does not actually want resolve or repair, it boils down to the fact that they are benefiting somehow by that conflict. Another way of seeing this is that their needs are currently being better met by the conflict continuing than ending. Even if a person doesn't necessarily enjoy conflict or experiences pain as a result of that particular conflict, it's still true that their more important needs are currently being met by that conflict continuing. As you are about to find out, there are so many needs, so many needs, that can be met in a shadowy way through conflict. Just to give you a very few examples, you've got things like importance, things like significance, things like connection, attention, superiority, consideration, empathy, belonging, being seen, self-esteem, power, getting what you want, being seen as good and right, being chosen, control, acknowledgement, a sense of one's existence, a sense of one's identity, etc. With this in mind, let's dive deep to understand why somebody may not benefit by resolve and repair and would instead perceive themselves to benefit by conflict continuing or even benefit by bad blood. One, some people subconsciously feel like the only way to actually develop a secure relationship with somebody is through the method of triangulation. Triangulation implies that conflict has to continue for it to exist. What triangulation essentially is, is establishing closeness with somebody by being against someone else. For example, a person may only feel secure, close, and connected to another person if they both share a common enemy. Or if a person feels insecure about their partner's relationship with someone else, they may be able to separate their partner from the other person, thereby eliminating the threat by triangulating their partner against that person. Or a person may only feel good about themselves if they are the good guy and thus the victim in some way to someone else. This means they need a bad guy to exist to have other people see them as the victim in a situation in order to enjoy a positive self-concept. To understand this more in depth, watch my video titled, Are You Being Triangulated? A Common Manipulation Technique in Relationships. So again, with point one, somebody would benefit by maintaining conflict if triangulation is their only way to establish security within a relationship. Two, a person wants significance, and this dovetails with attention, but they don't feel like they can actually be significant in their own right, or when in association with another person, in an in-alignment way. So the only way that they feel like they can go for significance directly is to flip against them and to become their adversary. When someone suddenly begins to pose a threat to you, all of a sudden they matter a great deal to you. Your nemesis is quite significant to you. 
aren't they? This is one of the motivations that has turned people into school shooters. This is also a shadow that you see around celebrities. People have made entire careers where they got attention they would have never otherwise gotten just by virtue of being against somebody else who has the public attention and has already gained significance within the greater society. And when this is the case, resolve and repair means no more attention and no more significance. Three, this point goes hand in hand with the last one. When you're in conflict with someone or when you're against them or the antagonist, it actually is a very powerful hook. It can create a painful pull that is impossible to ignore. Ultimately, it's a way to stay emotionally close and important to someone. Now, you can see classic examples of this particular point in relationships where it seems like whenever one person feels like the other one is unavailable or is ignoring them, they deliberately start fights to create a pull in that relationship or to create a hook for something they need. When a person creates an issue, your attention goes to whatever that issue is. End of story. It's very difficult for a person who becomes your full-on adversary or who becomes a threat to you to not be the most significant person in your life and where your attention is going pretty much all day long. It's a great technique for manipulating those needs that you want to have be met by somebody being so tied into you that they're totally at your mercy. At the more extreme level of this scale, what you have is essentially trauma bonding, which can get extremely abusive. But let me tell you, you see this hook a lot in divorce courts, as well as the next point on our list. Four, a person can use conflict as a way of gaining control and as a way of gaining power. Power is really nothing more than the ability to create influence or do something so as to bring about what a person wants. We all want power. There's nothing wrong with power, right? But when we feel like we can't create something we want, when we can't influence something to be what we want, when we can't do something so as to bring about what we want, we start to feel powerless. Now, if that's the way that we feel when we're aligned with someone, meaning there's no conflict, we will automatically flip to the opposite strategy and try to get power the opposite way. In this way, creating and maintaining conflict can be an antidote to perceived powerlessness and lack of control. It becomes a way we subconsciously try to get into a position of control and power. Five, a person currently thinks that they would feel better by exacting revenge or by imposing consequences. When a person is stuck in this mental or emotional space, of revenge or of holding a grudge or feeling really, really hurt by someone. Oftentimes, to resolve a conflict means letting go of these things. And when they think about letting go of these things, it doesn't cause relief. <laughs> Quite the opposite. It feels like just stepping into more pain. It is completely natural for a physical human to wish harm on someone else who has really hurt them. I know that you probably heard otherwise, but guess what? Everybody feels this way when they were hurt. Unless you were able to socialize that person to feel like that's so bad and wrong that they don't feel that natural relief. Thinking about that, why is it natural? <laughs> because it's actually a subconscious attempt to force the other person not only into reform, but also into empathy. This means inherent in the wish for somebody else to experience harm is a drive to be close to them again. So it's more common when we feel like we've really been hurt for us to want the other person to hurt in some way. We want them to experience a consequence. 
we may want them to pay for what they did. And for some reason, feel like we can't get resolve unless that happens. In these types of situations, creating repair and resolve actually just feels like you're letting the other person get away with whatever they want to do to you with absolutely no consequences. <laughs> and forgiveness often feels like you're letting somebody off the hook or even being permissive of something that they did. Six, a person is benefiting by resentment and by holding a grudge. Both of these feelings implies that someone has been wronged. Now, if it's somebody else that has wronged them, it makes them right and it makes them good and it makes them successful. <laughs> what does all this mean? Holding on to these things, which imply not actually resolving conflict, it in fact keeps a person in this very powerful position to avoid their own shame. If you would like to avoid feeling bad, feeling wrong, feeling unlovable, or feeling like a failure, it's a great idea to hold on to resentment and to grudge. Just doesn't really go hand in hand with solving conflict. Also, I do want to remind you that anger and begrudgment definitely feels better than powerlessness. Seven, a person doesn't actually want something that would ever come about as a result of aligning with someone else or the result of a win-win because they already know that whatever they want is a zero-sum game. <laughs> and they feel like playing a zero-sum game is really the only way to get what they want, so let's just be honest, they're willing to. You can see examples of this throughout history <laughs> over and over and over again, right? One emperor decides he's going to take over an entire territory, realizes this is a zero-sum game, has no interest in resolving the conflict. Why? Because he already knows you're not just going to give it up. So let's start war. Conflict can be your way to get what you want, not resolve and repair. Now, of course, until human beings realize that this really never actually works, we're going to be in a whole heap of trouble. Eight. This point goes hand-in-hand -hand with the last one because you're going to see all kinds of examples of this one in history as well we have to talk about bad blood. Bad blood is that feeling of ill will, of anger, of hatred, of hostility, right? It doesn't feel good. It creates a huge amount of pressure. And guess what? Pressure can be applied to get what you want. Therefore, some people actually benefit by bad blood because they cause such pain through bad blood to the other person that it becomes like a game of uncle put so much pressure on you through the pain of this. Let's see how long it takes you to give in. In other words, bad blood feels so bad it can be used deliberately like an emotional torture device. In this case, things that maintain conflict, like withholding needs, withdrawal, passive aggression, cold shouldering, and triangulating become a way to cause a person enough pain that they surrender to the other person and they get what they want. Nine. Some people feel like they can't get what they need and want directly. I mean it all. And so they only have really one option, and that's to put other people in a lose-lose scenario. Not just any lose-lose. A lose-lose scenario where they've already manufactured the situation so that they've imposed a consequence that's so much worse than another consequence you could face that it's a guarantee you're going to give in. This tactic employs conflict as a manipulation strategy. They make sure to create a scenario where the other person, choosing what they want them to choose, what would meet their own needs, is the obvious lesser of two evils. They do this by using the person's needs against them. Let's look at an example, shall we? Let's say that 
you're in a relationship with somebody and you don't like their job, you're likely to realize, wait a minute, this person cares a great deal more about their relationship. In fact, I'm gonna deliberately do things that makes it so they're dependent on the relationship. That way, I know that when I put them in a lose-lose where they have to choose between their job and me, they'll choose me. It's definitely the lesser of two evils. To understand more about this, you may benefit by watching two of my videos. The first is how to win at lose-lose, no-win scenarios. The second is why the choose-me dynamic can be toxic for relationships. 10. One of the lesser-known reasons why a person may not be creating resolve or repair in a relationship is because whatever dynamic is playing out in that adult relationship is actually just a mirror of childhood trauma which is actually being resolved by that conflict not being repaired. It's a subconscious attempt to recreate a traumatic childhood experience so as to try to manipulate to bring about a different result. When this is the case, let's be honest, the conflict itself and even the resolve probably has very little to do with you. You're just acting as a player, a player representing some character from a person's childhood. For example, imagine that when a woman was a little girl, her father left the family for another woman. In adulthood, this woman might intentionally choose into a relationship with a man who is sexually attracted to another woman. She may try to hook him so that all his needs are met by her and create conflicts with that other woman and then force him to choose between the other woman and her. If he chooses her, it will be a healing experience relative to her childhood. In other words, this time she was able to create a different outcome. This time her dad chose her instead. When a person is trapped inside one of these subconscious recreation dramas, it often comes from a place of so much pain that a person becomes totally narcissistic. They don't actually care how much conflict they have to create or how much damage they have to do to everyone around them in order to create that personal resolve for themselves. 11. Conflict helps some people who feel very little to feel something. Conflict arouses the element of your nervous system, your being, that causes you to feel like you're in fight or flight mode. It's not actually too dissimilar to people who need adrenaline in order to feel alive. It can feel like a spark in the nothingness. A conflict can feel like something rather than nothing. It's an antidote to numbness. 12. It's fully possible for conflict to be something that a person associates with love. This is especially true if you grew up watching your parents only engage and only connect through conflict. This is also especially true if the only relationship you were able to have with your parents, or one of them, was conflict. You start to associate conflict with family, with closeness, with love, with togetherness. In other words, it's your only reference for love. And people who struggle with this often report that stable relationships feel unsafe, like ticking time bombs, or alone, like there's no relationship. Conflict can cause a person to feel pulled, as if they matter enough for someone to get into a conflict with or about. It can also serve as an antidote to being ignored and thus closer to love. Here's another interesting thing for those of you who just love psychology. <laughs> it's possible for a person to feel so at the mercy of literally anyone else they're in a relationship with, that the minute that things start to go well in a relationship, meaning the other person is doing good at meeting your needs, that all of a sudden triggers the living daylights out of you. If you're one of these people, the second that a relationship is going good and your needs are being met by them, oh no, if my needs are being met by them, 
I'm at their mercy. So the only way to get out of that pain is to cause a problem. If the other person is in power, the best way to flip that dynamic and to be in power again is to be the one that blows the whole thing up. This puts you back in the place for the other person to be at your mercy instead, and back in the position to be safe by being free, solo, and meeting your own needs. 13. Conflict can be a way of feeling a sense of self, a strong sense of identity. People who have experienced what we call enmeshment trauma, meaning they were not allowed to have any boundaries growing up, they often can only feel a sense of themselves when they're in opposition to something else. Now what they want is connection, what they want is closeness, but anytime they get those things, they suddenly start to feel like they're being consumed, like their boundaries are disappearing, like they don't know who the hell they are or what their truth is versus anything else anymore. And so they push away. Therefore, conflict becomes their way of keeping their sense of self intact. To understand more about this, it would benefit you to watch two of my videos. The first is why people are stuck in the cycle of either complying or rebelling. And the second is the freedom connection split within humanity. Now that I've given you those points, and remember they are limited, there could be many more. <laughs> now that we've looked at those, let's look at how to be able to tell whether somebody actually does want resolve and repair. First point, a person who actually does want resolve and does want repair actually acts like it. That means they initiate repair. They're bothered by the rupture and conflict to the degree that they demonstrate their prioritization of creating repair and their commitment to it. They both speak and act, don't just speak, like it is in their best interest to be on good terms with you. If you're confused about whether somebody does actually want repair and does want resolution with you, a good exercise, a really smart exercise to do, is to put them on mute. And I want you to watch them like you're watching a silent movie over the course of time ever since that rupture occurred. Let their actions speak for themselves. What do their actions say? Next point. When you put a person who does actually want resolve and does actually want repair in the position to answer the question, what should I have done differently and what can I do now so as to resolve the bad blood and so as to feel aligned with you? They will be able to come up with an answer. They will be able to tell you specifically and exactly what they want. As long as what they actually want is not something that they feel so incredibly ashamed of that they're not letting themselves own up to it. People who don't want repair and resolve will struggle to answer this question. I mean really struggle. They may even postpone giving you that answer. Why? Because alignment isn't actually what they want. Next point, with a person who actually wants resolve and repair, guess what? Resolve and repair actually happens. You don't come back to the same conflict over and over and over again. With this in mind, it would benefit you to become aware of a specific pattern that creates this dynamic, where no matter what you do to solve conflict, it never gets resolved. You can learn about this dynamic by watching my video titled How Owning the Truth Solves the No Resolve Pattern in Relationships. With a person who wants resolve and wants repair, they will be actively looking for a win-win scenario. They will be actively looking for how to create alignment. They will be actively looking for how to eliminate bad blood. Keep in mind that a win-win scenario is very, very different than compromise. 
To understand this in depth, watch my video titled, Why You Should Never Make Compromises in a Relationship. This is very different from making threats, exhibiting all or nothing behavior, trying to win, refusing to communicate, withdrawing or walking away, making the entire conversation about blame and rightness, being passive aggressive, imposing punishments, triangulating, spreading rumors, refusing to reflect on what they might have done, bad or wrong, or exhibiting victim control behavior. Don't forget something very important, and I want you to take this home. It is very possible for a person to actually want resolve and repair, but to not actually want it enough to go for it because they don't see resolve and repair leading to what it is they really want. When this is the case, the person does actually want repair and resolve, so they're not going to resonate with the idea that they don't. The reason I say they really don't is because even though they want resolve and repair, they don't want it as much as something else. Something else which is currently happening because of the conflict. It can be really confusing when you're in a conflict with somebody who doesn't actually want repair and doesn't actually want resolve. It can become an extremely gaslighting situation where you're wandering around not knowing if you've lost your mind, really not understanding what it is they're getting out of the whole damn thing. But hopefully this episode helped you understand some of that. And if you find yourself in this frustrating situation, you can always ask yourself, how are they benefiting personally by this conflict staying the way it is and even escalating? What need is it meeting? How is the conflict in their best interests? And what might they feel they will lose by the conflict ending or by being aligned with me? In other words, how is it against their best interest for this conflict to end? Have a good week.